begins with the headlines. Or when we sit down to watch a sports program or maybe one of those magazine-type programs on TV, it usually begins with someone previewing what's coming up. And yet it occurs to me that we very rarely have a headline at the beginning of a sermon. So tonight, let's have a headline for this sermon. And the headline is this, the importance of the truth. Unlike many headlines that you get in papers, whether that's national or local press, then there's a subheadline, and it's a bit more wordy. The absolute importance of being committed to the truth of God's Word. That's where we're going over the next 25 minutes, roughly speaking. That's what we're going to be thinking about in our time spent in God's Word this evening. And in the context of this book that we're looking at together, 1 Timothy, let's be absolutely clear as to what the truth is. We're talking here about the truth of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ that had been communicated by the, the apostles. It is the teaching of the Lord Jesus that had been transmitted to the church by the apostles. And tonight as we come to, to think about verses 3 to 11 in 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's remember two important things about the nature of this letter, two things that we discovered about this letter last time when we looked at this book for the first time. We remember that this letter is personal. It's one man writing to another man. It's Paul writing to Timothy, who is probably his closest colleague and friend in ministry. And what that means is that we get a really close-up view of Paul's view on things, because he is writing in a way that you would write to one of your friends. We perhaps get to see here more than anywhere else in Scripture the mind of Paul. We get really deep insights into Paul's thinking about mission and about the gospel and about the nature of the church. So, if you want to describe it like this, these letters enable us to see Paul's heart. But while this letter is personal, we, of course, know that this letter is also prophetic. That is, it is proclaiming God's Word. Remember how the writer of the letter introduces himself in the opening verse. If you look back at verse 1 of chapter 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So, he is calling himself a messenger of the Lord Jesus. And we believe Scripture's testimony about itself that it is God-breathed, that it is God's Word to us. And as we remember that, it surely does a couple of things tonight. First of all, it gives us real confidence as we turn to this passage, because we know this is what God wants us to hear. But also, it means that we should approach this passage seriously. We can't be complacent or casual when it comes to what we're hearing 
tonight because this is what God wants us to hear. So, with all of that in mind, let's turn to these verses this evening. And in these verses, first of all, we get to hear something of Timothy's task, that is to uphold the truth. Sometimes we ask people to hold the fort for us. In other words, we want them to look after things while we're away so that Brian and I usually hold the fort for each other in this area. When Brian is on holiday, he would say to me when he's heading off on a a cruise, Brian likes to cruise, he would say, Philip, can you hold the fort for a couple of weeks? Or hopefully when I'm off over half term in just, what, over a week's time, Brian will hold the fort for me here in Connor. And let's remind ourselves of the background to this book and what is going on here. That this is Paul writing, we think, from Macedonia. He certainly refers to a time in Macedonia, and most scholars are agreed that he was probably still in Macedonia when he wrote this letter, but he would soon be taking his final journey to Rome, where he would be imprisoned. And while he writes this letter, Timothy is in the city of Ephesus, and we know quite a bit about the church in Ephesus, what that congregation was like. We have taken time here in our church before to study the letter to the Ephesians, and we know that the the church in Ephesus was a church that had its fair share of problems. There were all kinds of dodgy things going on, as well as good things and encouragements. So that if you look later on in 1 Timothy to chapter 3, verse 15, we get to, to find out there that Paul hopes to come to Ephesus eventually, but he tells us that the purpose of this letter is to guide Timothy and the church in Ephesus in case he is delayed, or as the ESV prefers to put it, if he decides himself to delay his arrival. And you can take your choice as to which is the best translation and interpretation of that verse, but the bottom line is this. Timothy is left here in the church in Ephesus holding the fort, So, what is he required to do? Well, look again at verse 3. Paul tells Timothy that he is to command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies or genealogies. Now, here's the really important thing for us to understand from that verse this evening. If we were to go back and look at the original language in which Paul wrote this letter, that is Greek, what he is saying there, what he is literally saying there, what we translate as false doctrines, he described as different doctrines. And it's so important that we understand that and that we hold that thought in our minds for a few moments this evening. If we want to to maybe translate this verse again, and if you want to listen to it like this, Timothy is to command men, certain people in that church, not to teach different 
doctrines any longer? Different from what? Well, Paul is talking about any teachings, any beliefs that are in any way different from the gospel that had been received, that are in any way diverging from the accepted teaching of the Old Testament, which after all was the Scriptures of the early church, which diverges in any way from the teaching of Christ and His apostles. And why I'm really emphasizing that point this evening, and why it is so critical for us to understand this, is because so often we imagine false doctrine is something that has to be really, really wacky and really far out there, something that would be immediately notable to us. And some of it is, of course. You look at Bethel Church in, in California and all of that kind of stuff, and that is wacky stuff. There is no doubt about it. But in actual fact, when it comes to false doctrine, in other words, different doctrine, anything that is different from the gospel as it has been received, it is actually much more subtle than how we imagine it to be. All it takes for a doctrine to be false, to be wrong, is for it to be in any way different from the truth of the gospel that has been received in Scripture. Now, I think that understanding that tonight gives an immediate challenge for us here in church. It challenges us in an age when the spirit of the age is for us to embrace diversity and difference. And sometimes that's a good thing to do, by the way. In society, sometimes it is good for us to embrace diversity and to recognize diversity in certain right settings. But it seems to me that that way of thinking has extended into the church. It's extended to how we approach theology and belief so that increasingly we think that it is admirable for people to think outside of the box when it comes to God, where it is often lauded that people embrace new and alternative views about Jesus. Let's explore that a bit more. Let's, let's see what that's all about, where we are encouraged to have a respect and an openness to what very different voices are saying about the gospel. And this way of thinking has crept into the church. Indeed, this way of thinking has increasingly started to creep into evangelical circles. But if a belief is in any way different from the message of Scripture, then be sure of this, it is false. It is entirely wrong. And as such, it will have no benefit for the church. It will not be beneficial to us. 
Indeed, it will do harm to the church, and therefore it must be rejected. And so here's the challenge, because I want this to be applied. I don't want us to look at God's Word and look at all of the the theory and the doctrine and just leave it at that. Oh, yes, in my head, I understand that a little bit better. No, this is to change us. This is to challenge the way in which we think about our lives and live out our lives day by day. And here's the real challenge for us. Think back to previous generations here in Connor. How did they get here to church? They walked. Or when some got a bit more fancy, they came by horse and cart. And then the car came along. But for those previous generations, for better or for worse, hopefully, and mainly for better, what they received from God's Word, the teaching that they received about doctrine, the things that fashioned and formed their beliefs came from this place, from a pulpit in a building here. But now think about today, think about tonight, think about when you go home, and whatever our age, the vast majority of us will sit down tonight We'll have our phone, our device in our hand, and we'll be looking at all kinds of stuff. I know that some of you are those kind of online service junkies. I hear that. You tell me sometimes, you know, you'll go home and you'll check, oh, this person here and that person there, and that's okay. I'm not dissing that, honestly, but we look at all this stuff. We have two clicks until we get to all kinds of stuff and material, and resources. And so much of the the stuff that we access, it has this veneer of orthodoxy. It looks, and it kind of feels, and it appears to be Christian. It appears to be like what our church is like. And therefore, we imagine that automatically it is right, it is safe, it is helpful to us, it's edifying. But sometimes it's not. And it only needs to be this much different, this much different from the gospel, from what is revealed to us in Scripture, to be false, to be wrong to be damaging. And so we need to be discerning, and we need God's help in that. Let me give you an example. Yeah, I'll go for this example, okay. On Tuesday, I was down in Lisbon visiting um, in a nursing home, someone from our congregation who's in a nursing home in Lisbon now, and my brother lives there, so I gave him a call and I said, look, do you fancy meeting up even for 15 minutes? And he arranged for us to meet in a a place, a center in Lisburn, where there's a coffee shop, among other things. And I arrived a wee bit before my brother, and within that place there was a Faith Mission bookshop. Now, we know that name, Faith Mission. 
Some of you will have links to the faith mission. I better be careful here, but some of you will have been involved in it in the past. We know the good work that's gone on in this district and in other places, but what I, the point I'm making is I was in that shop, and so you would go and you would see the sign, Faith Mission. Oh, this is great. There was some really dodgy stuff in that bookshop. Honestly, some of it was this much different from the gospel. Some of it was maybe this much different from the gospel. But all of that stuff, if it is a different doctrine, it is a false doctrine. So we need to be discerning. We turn on the TV. Oh, the God channel. It's a channel about God. Stick me on this microphone here, Alan. That would do your head in. That's great. A channel about God. That's going to be good, isn't it? God channel. Like it does exactly what it says on the tin. Some of that stuff is false. It's nothing to do with the gospel. Some mainstream Christian magazines. And we think, well, we've had that magazine for 60 years, for 70 years, for 80 years. So all the stuff in it's going to be good, isn't it? Some of it is different doctrine. It is false doctrine. It is not the gospel. An endless online content where you can access whatever you want. And some of it is different doctrine. It is false doctrine. It is not the gospel. And so I would want to point you to publishers who we can trust. I very often, rather than pointing people in the direction of a specific book, would prefer to point you to publishers where when you access their resources, you know what you're getting and they are trustworthy because they are people who care about the truth. They are committed to the gospel. The Good Book Company, they have been a great resource for us as a congregation when we reach out to our members each Easter and Christmas. But they've got so many good resources for you. Tenofthose.com, really reasonably priced resources to help Christians. Christian Focus Publications, an amazing publishing house. They've got a great website, Banner of Truth. It does exactly what it says in the tin. You can't go wrong with a banner book. Some of it will bore you to sleep, but you can't go wrong with it. An evangelical press, the evangelical bookshop. I didn't have room to fit them on. In future weeks, we'll consider the exact nature of some of the false doctrine that Timothy was commanded to tell people to stop. A lot of it relates to the resurrection and wrong ideas that they had about it. But let's now briefly consider the second part of what Paul instructs Timothy to command them. So if you look at the rest of verse 3 and verse 4, also, Timothy is to command them not to, to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things, Paul says, promote controversial speculations. Speculations. 
rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. It seems that some of those within the church in Ephesus were fixated on myths that had nothing to do with and no basis in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember that true Christianity is in no way based on a myth or myths. Quite the opposite. The wonderful thing about true Christianity is that it is based on history, on eyewitness accounts that the gospel writers went to such great lengths to get reliable, trustworthy accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus. And I want to say it's amazing how some Christians are drawn to myths. And social media really holds up a spotlight to this, I've got to say. I'm not so much of a Facebook person now, but I used to use it. And then I just uh, did my head in as well. Lots of things do my head in, but Facebook, I, I thought there's more to life than this. But I used to see those posts on Facebook along the lines of, if you don't believe after you see this, then you'll never believe. But it was followed by some kind of video or story of someone's experience of something that they believed was miraculous. And some of this stuff is pretty far out. In fact, I saw a video last week, and I don't want to be in any way disrespectful or irreverent, but it was a video of Americans, strangely enough, who were, they were scattering the ashes of a loved one by this lake. How this came onto my screen, I have no idea, but they were doing that. And the big, the big thing about this video was that when they threw these ashes into the wind, that they arranged themselves in angels' wings. And then it followed up, and you say there is no God. Now, you might expect that kind of thing from people who have no true knowledge of the gospel, who are blind to the truth of the gospel. But brother and sister in Christ, why would we be drawn to such things? Why would we need such so-called evidence of the reality of God when God has spoken to us? He is speaking to us tonight. He does it through His Word. Why do we need any further evidence when we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God standing before us in flesh? It doesn't get any more real than Jesus. So what I'm saying is be careful what you get caught up in. Be careful of what you give your time over to. And please, please be careful of things that draw us into controversies and quarrels that hold us back from fixing our eyes on Jesus. I was stopped by someone one day. And they've been at one service, one service since the pandemic. And they stopped me to take issue with something that I said in that service based on their use of the King James Version. 
And that's fine. That, that's okay. I get that. My wife uses the King James Version. Look, we don't fall out over the version of the Bible we read. But this person did and made a big point of it. And I thought, where are you? And then eventually I said, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And come, up, come and be among his people. Timothy's task was to uphold the truth. And then Timothy's goal, which is love. We, we say Timothy's goal, but it was actually the goal that was set for Timothy. So maybe it would be better to describe it, to describe it as Paul's goal. Indeed, we should really describe it as God's goal. And what is the goal of this command? Well, given all that we have heard so far, you might expect the goal to be truth. But verse 5 does not say that. It may come as a surprise. Look at verse 5. The goal of this command is love. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Well, let's take a closer look at the whole verse. Paul says to Timothy, verse 5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And people, this is why what we believe and what we teach is so important. This is why we need to be committed to the truth of God's word. And this is why Paul commanded Timothy to command those engaged in the teaching of false doctrines and in speculation about things that had nothing to do with the gospel to stop it. So that the result would be love. A greater and purer love for God, which would then lead to a greater and pure love for others within the body of Christ. And folks, this is the importance of right doctrine, and this is the danger of different wrong doctrine. But this is not just an academic thing. It's not a, we can tick that page because we understand it in the correct way, and nor is this an and it should never be a matter of pride. It's not an individual or a church thinking, oh, well, look, I dot all the I's, I cross all the T's, I get everything right. It's not about that. No, this impacts on the most fundamental things in life. What is taught, what we believe impacts on how we relate to God, and there is nothing more important than that. And then, how we relate to one another in Christ. And this love that Paul talks about comes about through the gospel and a right response to it. So look again at verse 5. He talks about a pure heart. That is a heart that has been made clean by the blood of Christ. He talks about a good conscience, which comes about by understanding what the gospel tells us about our standing with God and Christ and by the change that the Holy Spirit brings so that we become more like Jesus our Savior. And he talks about a sincere faith, the kind of faith where we trust 
Jesus alone, where we are in, in no way double-minded, relying on other people and other things. And folks, this is the basis for loving and serving Christ and then loving and serving others. We have completely ran out of time and I'm going to have to leave it there. I can't start into this next big, big section here. That's what happens when you go off script. But I hope that you can see, and this is really important, I hope you can see why Paul instructed Timothy to command false teachers to stop what they were doing. And more especially, I hope that you can see why what we teach and believe in the church is so vitally important. The importance of the truth, the absolute importance of being committed to the truth of God's word. So what will our response be as we finish? What will our response be individually and corporately as a, as a congregation, as the body of Christ here? Well, surely it will be a renewed commitment to the gospel, to the truth of God's word. And it will be a fresh zeal in rooting out what is different from the gospel. What is different from the truth that we have received. No matter how trendy or cool or exciting or fresh that might appear to be. No, we commit ourselves to the truth of God's word. Amen.